The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Meet and remember disability rights advocate Judy Human. Welcome to ACB Reports for May 2023. Judy Human is widely regarded as the mother of the disability rights movement. She delivered the following address during the awards banquet of the 61st Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind last July in Omaha, Nebraska. She was introduced by ACB President Dan Spoon. Judy Human has been an amazing advocate for the disabled community since the early 1970s. She was truly instrumental in developing the independent living movement for the disabled community. And in 1973, she was truly the driver in the creation of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. But Judy's accomplishments do not end there. She served in Bill Clinton's administration in the highest office of special education and rehabilitation services in the Department of Education. And then she continued on during the Barack Obama administration and served as the US disability rights official under the State Department. In 2020, Judy wrote her acclaimed autobiography on being human where she really described with no holes barred what it was like to be a disability advocate for the last 50 years. Judy is truly known internationally for her work in disability rights and is truly known as the mother of disability rights advocacy in the United States. So Judy, tell us a little bit about what got you started in the disability rights movement back in the 1970s? What was really the impetus for you to take this on as a career? I had polio. I don't think one is born as an advocate per se, but I think ACB and many other disability rights organizations really have been formed because of the discrimination that we have experienced and our desire to work on ending discrimination. And also, I think what's very important about organizations like the American Council of the Blind and others is the fact that we are role models for people who have disabilities. Some of them are similar to ours and in many cases not. Durwood was someone that I worked with through organizations when I was living in DC. Eunice Fiorito, some of you may also remember But Eunice came from Chicago to New York, and she headed up Mayor Lindsay's office on disability when I was the president of Disabled in Action in New York City. And Eunice and I did a lot of work together in New York. And when you were mentioning the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, Section 504 was a part of that. 
and Disabled in Action and Eunice as the Commissioner of the Office on Disability and many other groups were involved with demonstrating, writing letters, holding meetings to be able to ultimately get Nixon to sign the law. And then Eunice later went on to become the chairperson of the American Council of Citizens with Disabilities. So she always was a very strong role model for me. But being an advocate was really partly my mom. My mom was a very strong advocate. She learned very early on that the discrimination that I was experiencing wasn't going to end by itself and that she and my father really needed to fight for what they wanted me to have, which was to be able to go to school and be a part of the community and go to college and get a job. So I love doing advocacy because it enables me to work with so many other people and get our ideas together, create agendas and really fight for change. And I think those of you in the room and on Zoom all have your own stories to tell. And what I think is very important about our movement as it's getting bigger and giving awards to chapters that are bringing in so many new members is that we have to remember that we are 60 million people in the United States, but our voices are not heard like the 60 million people we represent. And partly that's because too many people are still ashamed of having a disability. They don't know other disabled people. They're by themselves. They're in situations where they're not necessarily getting the training and support that they need so they can feel empowered as individual people. Advocacy is motivating for me, but it's also motivating for me because it motivates so many other people whose lives get turned around. So Judy, what was that aha moment for you as you began your career that you said, oh my gosh, I truly can make a difference And that kind of drove you towards the advocacy path. As I was saying, I've always thought about we can make a difference. It's not that I don't feel I can make a difference because I do, but I really have found the we can make a difference is very empowering. And for me, being able to help bring the we together, I suppose, is partly what I feel is like an aha moment, a moment that stands out for me is when I applied to be a teacher in New York City. And I was denied my teaching license because officially in writing before 504 came about, I was denied my license because of paralysis of both lower extremities, sequelae of poliomyelitis. When I received that letter, I wasn't surprised because I knew that there were no other people who had been hired in the entire New York City Board of Education system who used a wheelchair. I found out later there were some people who had gotten their teaching licenses and might have gotten disabilities like multiple sclerosis and stayed on as teachers, but I didn't know any of them at that point. There were never many. So when I got that letter um, denying my, my license, it really required me to make a decision regarding whether or not I was just going to accept that denial and move on to something else, or whether I was really going to do something to try to address what I did consider discrimination. And there were a number of things that happened. And I talk about how the stars were aligned in that period of my life, where there was an editorial in the New York Times 
in in the uh, New York Post, in the Daily News. And I was asked to be on the Today Show and many, many other things that happened and was able to get some three really good attorneys. We sued and went to court and Constance Baker Motley, who was the first African-American woman to serve on a federal court, was our judge. And she basically told the Board of Ed that she encouraged them to reconsider their decision, which they did. And then I became a teacher for three years. But that work and then the 504 demonstrations that started in 1973 with, as I was saying, you know, Disabled in Action and many other organizations, all of that together really made me feel that we were becoming more empowered and that our collective voices really could make a difference. I think one of the other important things for me about why it's important to work together is I don't know everything about everything. I know some things really well, and I know a little bit about many things, but I really like meeting people who know more than I do in areas that I don't know or don't know well, because that really allows us to show our knowledge and expertise, and it allows us to bring our heads together and really look at how to address problems. I think one of the most important things for me around making the decision to move ahead with the litigation uh, when I was denied my job as a teacher was the fact that I really decided I didn't want to be living my life saying I faced a problem that I didn't try to resolve. And I think little and larger challenges like that, you know, they don't always get resolved quickly. And as we know, many of them don't get resolved as we want for many decades. But I think continuing to look at what our ultimate objective is and really fighting hard for what we believe in, even if it's incremental change, is uh, what this is all about. Well, thank you, Judy. And now I'm going to ask Clark Rockfall, our Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, if he has a question for you. ACB throughout the COVID-19 pandemic has been initiating and undertaking a campaign to improve the health and wellness of our members in the broader community of people who are blind and low vision. Our Get Up and Get Moving campaign. Emblematic of this campaign though is everything related to the COVID-19 pandemic. So when the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, released information related to the pandemic, it was made accessible later. When local jurisdictions, grocery stores, pharmacies were rolling out COVID-19 vaccinations, the websites were made accessible to register later. Now, ACB is working with the White House, the Department of Health and Human Services, Health and Human Services, and National Institutes on Health to make at-home COVID tests more accessible. So my question is, with the Biden administration's focus on DEI and A, diversity, equity, and inclusion, how can we ensure that the A stands for accessibility and not for afterthought? I think we have to not be quiet, and I think you certainly haven't been. The whole issue of accessibility in many areas that right now looking at the issue for blind and low vision people, clearly we know, you know very, very well that it is too often an afterthought. We all agree there need to be more disabled individuals working 
across government in positions where these types of issues are being discussed and also to be in regular communication with the disability community, broadly speaking, so that we can be looking at issues of access in the broadest sense possible. You know, for people with intellectual disabilities, with memory issues, deafness and hard of hearing, blindness and low vision, physical disabilities, people whose first language is in English, on and on. And I think we're making changes, but clearly what we saw in COVID, in addition to what you're discussing, is 230,000 disabled people who died as a result of COVID, living in nursing homes and segregated living environments, not getting the supports that they needed at home. As you're saying, not being able to take basic tests themselves to know whether or not they in fact have COVID or have been exposed to COVID. So we need to learn from what happened. We need to get commitments from the Biden administration, from the governors, from the mayors, from all of those who are responsible for this to really get them to make a commitment that these issues will be addressed. And it's more than just saying it will be addressed. People who are designing these instruments need to understand what does it mean to have a COVID test or other tests that are accessible? You know, what are we looking at in the materials that we're having to use? Those are things that I certainly can't advise on, but many of you can. And I think it shouldn't just be a focus at the national level. I think it needs to go from the local on up to the national. I also think we need to look at what we learned from this, when there were barriers and what changes we were able to make and how to ensure that these mistakes are not made again. I think having a focus on this is so critically important because it goes way beyond COVID. I was on a call earlier today with the person from, I think it's PG&E, a blind woman, where they're designing markings that will be able to go on products so that someone who's blind will be able to identify what it is that they're using, like shampoo and toothpaste and flour, whatever it may be. So, I mean, having a person who's blind in this position is clearly making a difference in the company that she's working in. And as she said, I think very eloquently this morning, if she had followed the traditional pathway of the jobs that people felt blind women and a Muslim blind woman at that would be able to pursue, she never would have had the jobs that she's had. So again, I think when we look at groups like ACB, one of the important parts about your responsibilities, all of our responsibilities, is to be making sure that people who are low vision or blind from when they're younger, that they're studying in the right fields, that they are going to be able to continue to move up the chain in work. And that as people are getting older and acquiring disabilities, many of these people have a lot of skills from work that they were doing before, how to keep them in the workforce how to keep people from feeling like they can no longer participate and use the skills that people have to address issues like this and so many others. Thank you. And my final question, during the Obama administration, uh, rulemaking was begun to provide accessibility standards for websites and the internet. Unfortunately, this was not completed by the end of the second term of the Obama administration, and the rulemakings were pulled back in 2017. Here in 2022, and in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, 
the online built environment or the virtual built environment has become just as important as the physical built environment for many people with disabilities, including people who are blind and low vision. Earlier this year, ACB and many of our affiliates joined a sign-on letter of over 180 disability and civil rights organizations urging the Department of Justice to promulgate enforceable regulations for the online built environment for accessibility. And we urge for the completion of a timeline of the current presidential administration. Now we know that this is something that the Department of Justice is moving forward on, and also that many federal agencies are looking at incorporating in the updates to their Section 504 regulations. How can we ensure that regulations for not only websites, but applications, mobile applications, and online services for students, employees, and everyone, whether it's government services, entertainment, e-commerce, are accessible? Are the current laws enough or is something else needed to ensure that accessibility in the virtual built environment matches that in the physical built environment. I believe that we are in a very tenuous period in our lives. And in my view, everything relates to voting. No exceptions, full stop period. We have a Supreme Court now that clearly is not our friend. We have 400 judges that have been appointed during the last administration who will, in many cases, not be our friends and not be our friends in areas that you're discussing now. So people need to be registered to vote. We need to make sure that in states where voting is becoming more complicated, where the ultimate objective is not to have people voting, that we need to address that. We need to be very clear with people that are running for office that we wanna know the answer to this question. What are they going to do to ensure, it's not just that the regulations are right. I mean, the reality is we need them. I'm not arguing against that at all. We need sufficient staff and these agencies to deal with enforcement. People need to understand what their rights are, but we also need to be working with corporations and others and make sure that people are learning what they need to learn to do appropriate website development, et cetera. But at the end of the day, as you know very well, many of these issues are being challenged. We only need to look at what happened recently at LA County Community College, a very, very progressive racially integrated community where they were about to go to the Supreme Court on issues just around this. And if that would have gone to the court, and that's the second case this year where people had to fight, one in the case of the LA Community College and the other with CVS. CVS last December was about to move forward in a very similar vein. So we need to move away from platitudes. We need to completely recognize that we need to vote. And we need to recognize that, I'm sorry, I don't know what your political affiliations are, but we can clearly see that the people who are being appointed to these judgeships are not friends to disabled people. They're not friends for the things that we're saying companies and others need to be responsible for. 
Let's put out good, strong new regulations. But really, everyone needs to be registering people to vote. You need to be looking at what's going on, getting blind and low vision people to understand these issues. We need to be making sure that candidates that are running are not only asked questions, but that we put forth their answers. Um, Nonprofits cannot endorse a candidate, but nonprofits can, in fact, ask questions. They can take that information. They can put it out publicly and allow people to make their own decisions. I want to know what their positions are, and they can't mumble jumble around it anymore. And for me, that's what's most important. There is nothing more important, in my view, than we lose no more seats in the House and Senate and that we get seats. And those of you who are in states where there are seats up where you have members that are supporting these kinds of positions, we need to support them. And where there are not, we need to support candidates who are willing to listen and come out and say something. Every candidate that ran for president in 2020 on the Democratic ticket had a policy on disability. You might not have liked the way it was all written, but every one of them had one. That is a big deal. And I'm not saying that all the Democrats are on our side either, because we've seen a number of areas where they have not been. But we need to be diligent. And we need to be outspoken. We will now hear from Janet Dickelman with a question from our membership audience. The first one is from one of ACB's past presidents, Mitch Pomerantz. As someone who has been involved in the disability rights movement for many years, do you believe that public attitudes towards persons with disabilities generally and persons who are blind, visually impaired specifically have improved for the better, especially when it comes to employment. And is the average hiring manager more likely than 40 years ago to hire someone who is blind, visually impaired? You know, I think it's very true that things have been getting better, but the speed is like a turtle. I think it's completely fair to say that many hiring managers have not been given the training that they need to ensure that a blind or low vision person or person with various forms of disabilities can come in for an interview without the bias about what they think about the person and the type of disability they have. I think that's very much still the case. And I think the more blind and low vision people that are being hired in a broad array of jobs, the more we're demonstrating that we have skills to work in any area. So yes, things are getting better, but they're not where they need to be yet. And I'm very concerned about issues like AI, the kinds of approaches, methods that are being utilized for people to be applying for jobs and the bias in the technology that's being designed. And of course, issues around lack of accessibility of the technology clearly will make it more difficult. So I would say, yes, things are getting better. I wouldn't say that they are dramatically better. The data clearly doesn't show that. What is better is that there are more disabled people who are getting better education and therefore are more qualified, but there's much more that needs to be done. 
And again, I think we need more staff in agencies that have responsibility for technical assistance, for monitoring and compliance, because there are many complaints that get filed. And obviously, some of them are very valid and others aren't. But everyone should be able to feel like someone is looking at these complaints and are doing what needs to happen to try to address them. And there is just not enough staff in agencies like the Department of Justice or Education or housing. I mean, housing as an example, do you feel that a blind person going to rent an apartment is um, being given equal consideration to a sighted person? Depends on where you are. Depends on the work that's been done in the community. But I think when at least 23% of the um, complaints that are made at the federal level in HUD come from disabled people, no, the issue has not been resolved. And I think that's an indication it's similar in employment. The data just doesn't show we've made the progress that we want to make. And one final question from Deborah Armstrong of Milpitas, California. As you look back over your endeavors, what do you feel was your greatest success and what is your biggest disappointment? I guess in some way, my greatest disappointment is that we haven't made the progress that I think for us is so obvious that needs to be made, that should be made, that can be made. And the greatest accomplishment is being able to talk with people like you and to work with disabled people and allies in the United States and around the world who really do share a similar objective. And I think for me in the disability community, one thing that's very important is that we are continually looking at who we represent. Just looking in the blind and low vision community, we represent white people, black people, Latino people, indigenous populations, Asian people, people from the LGBTQ community, from different religious communities. We need to make sure that we are truly representing these different groups that our leadership is coming from all these communities because the issues that many people are facing are different. There's a common area of discrimination, but new immigrants to the United States where people are not aware of laws like we know about, don't know how to utilize them, where discrimination is occurring, not just on the base of their disability, but on the basis of race, religion, et cetera, These are issues that we all need to be dealing with and we need to be working collaboratively together so that we can be speaking in a way that is truly advancing the rights and the lives of all people. Well, thank you so much, Judy, for being with us this evening. And at this time, we would like to present you with an ACB President's Special Service Award and Sharon Lovering, our Braille Form Editor, will read the award for you. The President's Award, presented to Judy Human for her work with disability civil rights, her tireless advocacy, and for expanding opportunity and equal access on behalf of all disabled people. Omaha, Nebraska, July 7th, 2022. Thank you very much, everybody. Judy Human passed away in Washington, D.C. on March 4th, 2023. She will forever be remembered in the disabilities community. Her spirit there will be felt and her physical presence missed. The remarks you just heard 
came from the awards banquet of the 61st Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind in July 2022. You've been listening to ACB Reports from the American Council of the Blind. ACB Reports is heard each month on audio information services across the United States and worldwide on the ACB Media Network, acbmedia.org. The show is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another edition of ACB Reports.